Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You for uh, Your goodness and grace. We thank You for the great forgiveness that You've been pleased to give us in Jesus Christ. We thank You for the work of Your Spirit in convicting us of sin and pressing upon our consciences to make us aware of those places and those things uh, that need to be rectified in Your sight. We uh, thank You that You desire us to uh, love You with our whole heart. And we thank You that as You cleanse us from our sin, this is more and more the case. And we pray together that as uh, we participate in the conference, uh, we will, uh, by Your grace, more and more love You. And uh, this is my prayer, Father, as we uh, look at these particular lessons in the Shorter Catechism, uh, that uh, it will become more clear to us uh, who you are, what you have done, and our need of you. And so be pleased to bless us to this end and give us your grace, we ask in the good name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Amen. Uh, you should have a handout, uh, God's glory in the good news regarding sin and the fall. That uh, seems uh, to be a little bit of an oxymoron to talk about God's glory uh, regarding sin and the fall. Uh, but as we've said already, there uh, uh, is the idea behind all of this that uh, God's providence is at work and even in sin and the fall, God has His good purposes to bring about a greater understanding of His glory. And you and I are participants in that plan and purpose of God to bring about the greater glory of God. And uh, there's a sense in which you could say, well, we're just pawns on uh, the chessboard being moved to and fro uh, with the purpose of God gaining the victory so He'll get the glory. Well, uh, there's a sense in which uh, this is the case. God is using us, uh, not as uh, inanimate objects simply uh, moving us around, but as agents of in His creation to bring about His greater glory. And He will do so. And uh, as we uh, come to understand uh, the teaching of the Catechism better, I think uh, we will understand that this is the case. Uh, so, uh, we forgot to go through, or I neglected to go through the Catechism uh, for the lesson uh, last time, so you should have your sheet, uh, the crib sheet, the cheat sheet, <laughs> so there should be no hesitation uh, in uh, reciting the catechism uh, now. Uh, we'll begin with uh, 14. What is sin? What was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? Adam, 
Into what a state did the fall bring mankind? Wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein a man fell? And question 19 on the back of the page. What is the misery of that estate wherein a man fell? And so, uh, having uh, taken a look at uh, questions and answers 14 and 15, uh, under this topic, uh, God's glory in the good news regarding sin and in the fall, uh, we're going to go directly to uh, question 16. Uh, uh, by route of the text at the top of the page, Isaiah 66, 24, uh, which is also quoted in Mark chapter 9, verses 47 and 48. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. A reference to... Uh, Gehenna uh, in the New Testament and Sheol or hell in uh, the Old Testament. And uh, our Lord Jesus Christ quotes uh, this text as a reference to the suffering and the torment of hell uh, for those who are in unbelief. And so, uh, question 16 again. Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? Uh, uh, You've noted, have you not, that the uh, catechism is not, quote, politically correct? (laughs) Uh, You understand. And uh, the, the terminology mankind is a reference to humanity. Uh, This is the idea, and uh, so we should not be offended uh, by these things, although uh, some are uh, very much offended uh, by these things. Uh, Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? The covenant being made with Adam, and of course this is the covenant of life or the covenant of works, God speaking uh, to uh, Adam in Genesis 2:16 and 17, uh, you shall not eat uh, from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Uh, that uh, command given to Adam as a public figure, as a public figure, and as uh, the one who represents all those who follow Him, 
all of his posterity, as the catechism uh, puts it. And so the covenant is made uh, with the covenant head uh, and with all whom he represents. Okay. Uh, this is uh, how it's, it, it works. The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity. All mankind, so that's every individual who is later born on the face of the earth, is affected by what Adam does. I guess we're okay with that. <laughs> All right. The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for all his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation. And of course, uh, the whole idea here of uh, the catechism in placing uh, this language in the answer by ordinary generation... The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is excluded because He is not brought into this world by ordinary generation, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, uh, this means that uh, Adam is not representing Jesus Christ in this uh, act under the covenant of works. Uh, helpful for us to understand that this is a, the case. All mankind descending from Him by ordinary generation sinned in Him. So, when Adam sinned, you sinned. You sinned in Him. This is uh, what the Catechism is teaching us. And we'll uh, look at these texts here momentarily. And fell with Him. And uh, we often utilize this language, do we not? That we sinned in Him and fell with Him. Uh, uh, a lot of people have problems with uh, this kind of language and the work uh, or the act of Adam in uh, causing uh, all of uh, those who follow Him uh, to be affected by sin. Uh, a microcosm uh, of this is simply your family and my family. Uh, those of you who uh, are employed and have been in a circumstance where... Uh, uh, something has occurred in your employment and your employment is terminated and you've been terminated, <laughs> not in the sense that you lose your life, uh, but uh, you've lost your employment and you've lost your livelihood. You're not the only one who is affected. Your wife is affected. Your children are affected. And it could even be that those further down the line in your family are affected. Uh, I, I don't know uh, uh, each of your individual circumstances, uh, but I know in my life I've been uh, in uh, the circumstance where uh, I've been unemployed and 
it's, it's a tough lot, and it's a tough lot not for yourself alone, but it's a tough lot for your wife. And if you have children, it's a tough lot for your children. And uh, this is how it works. And uh, to a greater extent, this is the circumstance with Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam's sin affected the entire human race. Uh, this is uh, what we are t- uh, taught. Uh, sinned in him and fell in his first transgression. It's not in the subsequent transgressions uh, that uh, we find the problem, but it's in that first transgression that has to do and is related directly to the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam violated that command, he was affected along with each one of us. This is the teaching of the Word of God. And uh, the text uh, that follow, uh, we've already taken a look at Genesis chapter 16, verses, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Isn't it striking? Through the sin of the one individual, the one man, sin, came into the world and was propagated throughout the world. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. See, all you have to do to understand that Adam represented you in the garden and that his sin has affected you is to contemplate your own mortality and take a visit to the nearest cemetery. Death and the reason for those bodies being placed in the grave, death entered into the world because of Adam's sin. And in addition, the text in Romans says, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. See, this is why the Catechism says to you and to me that we sinned in Him. You sinned when Adam sinned. This is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. In 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-one and 22, For as by a man's sin, uh, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. And of course, uh, the best answer to uh, the objection uh, raised with regard to our uh, falling in Adam and dying in Adam is uh, to the supposed injustice of uh, all of that. Uh, The best answer is that 
you are affected by what Christ has done. Because Christ was raised from the dead, you are given new life. And if the one is unjust, the other is unjust. But the one follows from the other. Jesus Christ represented you, and you have life because of Him. And so that's the opposite side of the coin, is it not? And so praise be unto God that uh, this is indeed the case. And so question 17, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Romans 5.12 once again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Question 18, wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell? The sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. What is the sinfulness of this estate wherein the man fell? We lost, we fell from that original state, and so now uh, the catechism is breaking out uh, the sinfulness of the estate wherein to, uh, into which we fell uh, because of Adam's sin. And the first thing that we encounter is guilt. And of course, it's plain on the face of it, or it should be, is it not? That uh, uh, after Adam and Eve sinned, they felt shame and guilt. Now, uh, do I have to press this very far? Uh, How many of you have experienced shame? Oh, just a couple of hands. Just a couple of hands. <laughs> Easy. You, you've never blushed. Uh, anymore, I don't want to walk in front of the mirror. <laughs> That's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> uh, there's a couple of stories I'd like to tell here, but I better not. <laughs> Uh, but th- but this is the case, isn't it? Shame comes so easily. Embarrassment comes so easily. And why is this the case? Guilt. Guilt. And uh, th- this is what we uh, learn immediately. Uh, si- the sinfulness of the estate wherein the man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness. Re- remember what we said about Uh, Adam and Eve, as they came uh, from the hand of God. Uh, uh, Created in God's image, uh, they had true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And it's uh, quite a stunning thing to think of that when Adam took that fruit, which 
which was forbidden. I say it was a brute act of rebellion because he knew the command of God and he knew that uh, God had said if he eats of that forbidden fruit, he will surely die. He knew that truth and he stood against that truth. He was able to judge rightly. He had original righteousness. He was able to judge rightly that it was wrong for him to take of that fruit. And he had been perfectly set aside for the purposes of God. And he knew that the purpose of God was that he should live in the garden and he had uh, all of the trees of the garden uh, to eat from freely except that one tree. And he knew and was able to judge properly and he was set aside for the purposes of God that he not eat of that fruit. And in an act of rebellion, he did so. And he forfeited his status and position before God. No longer true knowledge. He compromised. He compromised. No longer true justice an ability to judge justly. He compromised that capability to judge justly. And it's obvious, is it not, that he's no longer set aside perfectly for the purposes of God because he sinned against the command, the basic command of God. And so the Catechism, it says, that uh, uh, in these words... Uh, the sinfulness of this estate is the want of original righteousness, the forfeiture of his previous status bef- before God. And uh, as a result, there's corruption that enters into his being by a compromise with the truth, uh, a compromise uh, with uh, true justice, a compromise with holiness, stepping over into sin, siding with the likes of the devil rather than siding with God. And it's a stunning step. So, uh, you remember what Neil Armstrong said when he uh, first stepped on the moon. And of course you can see see the uh, pictures of his footsteps uh, in the dust on the moon. So, it makes me want to go b- uh, back and talk about the young earth stuff here. <laughs> so just a little bit of dust on the moon, not feet. The, the lunar lander, isn't this funny? The lunar lander having these big, big, enormous uh, feet put on them so they won't, it wouldn't sink into the dust. And it was just a little bit of dust. Anyway, sidebar. <laughs> where where was I? A small small step by man, great step 
by mankind. See, this is what happened to Adam. See, just a little step. See, you would say just a little disobedience. See, how, how often a little disobedience in your life and in my life and in the life of your children opens the door to wider disobedience and opens the pathway to destruction. This is what took place. And you and I need to be mindful of the lessons in this regard. The sinfulness of that estate wherein a man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, the corruption of his whole nature. You see, it doesn't take, it doesn't take much to corrupt purity. And uh, you've all seen the little experiment. You just put uh, one drop of dye or ink into a large container of water, and the whole container is now polluted. It doesn't take, you see, much poison uh, put in a, a container of pure water to pollute the whole container. And one sin pollutes the whole person. This is what happens. And again, you and I need to be mindful uh, that this is the case. And the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin. Notice how the catechism defines original sin. Uh, original sin isn't the, the original sin committed by Adam. Original sin is the corruption of the whole person. This is uh, how we define uh, original sin. And uh, so you and I are polluted persons. Our whole nature is corrupted. Let me seek to give you a little illustration of uh, uh, what this means. Several years ago, a uh, colleague of mine at the seminary uh, uh, took his wife uh, to visit uh, his uh, mother-in-law and move uh, his mother-in-law to uh, Quarryville, a rest home. And uh, that was an appropriate thing to do. Uh, for the assistance and help of uh, th this uh, uh, mother and uh, mother-in-law. And uh, when uh, th this couple came back to the seminary and we had an opportunity to visit with them and I inquired as to how their visit went and how uh, the move went, uh, the, uh, the wife said to me, I I'm just astounded and she was just, just, just hurt so badly because she said, I know my mother's a Christian. I know that, that she loved the Lord and she served the Lord well. And I couldn't believe the language that erupted from her mouth as we were in the process of this move. And I said, you know, 
you and I do not realize the depth of the depravity that exists within the human soul. And when outward constraints are removed and we begin to see the reality of the depth uh, of that sin. It startles us. And I think that's the reality of it. That except for the constraints of the grace of God operative in your life and in my life, there is no telling what you and I could be capable of doing except for the grace of God operative. And praise God, the time is going to come when all of that unrighteousness and filth is going to be totally removed from us. And we will experience a freedom, a freedom from sin that we have never imagined possible. What a wonder it will be. But except at this time, you see, we should understand the depth of the depravity of the fallen person. The want of original righteousness and the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. Say, now, now the difficulty is exacerbated because it's not only the fallen condition and the lack of original righteousness and the inability to judge justly and uh, the fact that uh, true knowledge escapes us and that we are no longer uh, set aside uh, for the purposes of God in holiness, uh, the abandonment... Uh, to which we give ourselves to sin, now becomes evident. And we should not wonder at what takes place in the world when we see uh, individuals giving themselves in abandonment to sin uh, because this is the natural consequence of what has happened to us in Adam. It's not only the corruption of our whole nature, original sin, but every actual transgression that occurs and comes out of that polluted nature. And now we're not only guilty of Adam's sin, but we're guilty of every actual transgression we ourselves committed. It's a horrid and wretched state. 
Uh, again, the text. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, therefore as one trespass uh, led to condemnation for all men. Wow! For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made constituted sinners. Uh, Ephesians 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Uh, uh, Some of you may have uh, seen uh, uh, R.C. Sproul give his little demonstration about uh, dead men. He wants to make sure that uh, dead men uh, cannot respond to the gospel. They're really dead. And so he has someone uh, come up and lay on the platform. And he says, play dead. Play dead. And so Sproul starts, get up. Respond to the gospel. Hear Jesus Christ. Dead men don't hear. (laughs) It's like talking to someone who's laying in a coffin. They don't hear. And this is the problem, isn't it? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Following. Following the disobedient one. Siding with the devil. Well, I would never do that. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm my own person. You can walk with God or you can walk with devil. I'm not going to do either. Guess again. It's not quite going to work that way. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, in the uh, passions and emotions that are guided by the sinfulness of our flesh, by the sinfulness of our nature, the selfishness, uh, which is within us. See, th- this is why the text, uh, w- why people who uh, say that the text, uh, you must uh, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, means that uh, you need to learn to love yourself uh, first, is so silly. <laughs> it just is silly uh, because there is so much self-love that we have already uh, in ourselves that we need to escape this. This is part of the passions of the flesh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Uh, uh, One of the uh, uh, fellows uh, here at the conference uh, said to me the other morning, And I empathized with him and said that I agreed with him. He said, I really need my shot of caffeine in the the morning. And I said, I do too. It's not that I'm addicted to caffeine at all. And why are you laughing? (laughs) See, in many ways, 
I am addicted to caffeine, and the telltale thing is, if I go, go off of caffeine, what's going to happen? I'm going to get a roaring headache. Little story. I went off coffee years ago, and I got a call from a fellow pastor, and he said to me, Denny, how are you doing? I said, I've got an awful headache. He said, what's, what's wrong? I said, I'm going through withdrawal. There was a long silence on the other end of the phone. <laughs> I said, it's coffee, it's coffee, <laughs> it's coffee. But you see, it's the same problem. We get hooked. We get, we, we get hooked in various ways and in various degrees on various things. And those of you who have sought to go on a diet and have cravings for, for certain things, it's an indication, there you are. You're hooked on these, these various things. It's, it's easy. And you get this over into the spiritual realm. It's so easy for us to sin. And for us to lapse over and for uh, those passions uh, to uh, take over and to be carried out, uh, carried away by the desires of the body and, and of the mind. And uh, Paul says with regard to the unbelievers, see, we were by nature children of wrath uh, like the rest of mankind. All of humanity is under the wrath of God. It's easy for us, isn't it, to just go about our daily tasks and not have the Godward perspective and think about our neighbor and our friends and some of our relatives being under the wrath of God. An uncle of my wife's was a pastor and a believer, and before he died, he took a trip to visit all of his closest family members, his, his children and his grandchildren, and the purpose, the main purpose of his trip was to speak to his children and to his grandchildren and siblings and close relatives about Jesus Christ and as much as he could to assure himself that they heard the gospel and they understood the consequences of the gospel and had faith in Jesus Christ. That was one of his last gracious acts as a father in this world. Understanding that men and women without Jesus Christ are under the wrath of God. Well, uh, let's, let's turn the page.
What is the misery of that estate wherein a man fell? All mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to the miseries of this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. And it goes without saying, I guess, I suspect, that loss of communion with God is part of the misery of the estate into which we've fallen. But is this, is this a point that we can take for granted? Perhaps not. And I say this because church attendance, for example, is viewed lightly by some. Now, uh, I for one am glad you're here. And uh, I keep thinking uh, that I should begin uh, the class session uh, by saying, I'm glad you, uh, those of you who are here, were willing to come back. <laughs> this is not always the case. Uh, and I am glad that you're willing to come back. But I think sometimes that our, our understanding of the body of Christ and uh, our services of worship lacks in this perspective that we don't see these times as the real times of fellowship with God that they ought to be and that they can be and that we expect them to be. And it's very uh, striking, isn't it, that uh, uh, many churches these days are uh, built more for fellowship than they are for worship. Uh, you need big fellowship areas and... Uh, uh, the, the worship center is more uh, akin to uh, a fellowship area. Now, now I'm not criticizing uh, the architecture from uh, this perspective. And uh, a lot has to do with finances and, and these kinds of things. Uh, there, are, there are many practical issues uh, that are involved. Uh, but, but I'm not sure that we appreciate uh, our worship the way we should as an act of entering, actually entering into a special presence of the living God to receive uh, special grace from God during those times of worship. This is what I'm getting at. And uh, uh, I, I, I truly, it's on my heart to, to uh, press this issue uh, further uh, but, but that will be uh, going down uh, a different track uh, 
Uh, but I, I think perhaps you, you get the idea uh, of communion with God. And uh, as the, the catechism says, uh, uh, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God. And the fact that we have special opportunities, you and I, to have communion with God. And so uh, I'm urging you in this, in this way to uh, look at your times of worship as times of special gathering, uh, not only together as God's people, but gathering together in the presence of God to commune with Him and to feast with Him. All mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under His wrath and curse. We, we've spoken already a little bit about that. And so made liable to all the miseries of this life. Uh, Pastor Johnson uh, came to me after uh, one of the earlier sessions and said, uh, what about a uh, theology of uh, the handicapped? And uh, uh, said to me, uh, all of us in some way, one way or another, are handicapped. Really? Yes, really. This is the case. And uh, in, in part, I would think, this is, this is a place where uh, you and I could explore this kind of thing. And so made liable to all the miseries of this life. Now, we've already spoken of the fact that in God's providence... The fall occurred. And in God's providence, you and I are affected by the fall. In God's providence, the outcomes of the fall involve certain miseries of this life. And we're not talking just about the fact that uh, you'll get a cold or someone will have pneumonia or uh, there'll be uh, a, a disease of this sort or of that sort. We're not just talking about those kinds of things, but we're also talking about uh, children uh, that have come into the world and are born with various difficulties. And we all know families where this is the case. And in God's providence, these things have been brought about They're on one hand a result of the fall and on another hand a gracious gift that God has given so that His glory may be more fully explored and understood
by his people. And when you go through the gospel accounts, is this not in large measure what you see? The man with the withered hand who is in the synagogue and Jesus motions to him, come up here. And he says to the assembly in the synagogue, is it proper to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? And the Pharisees and others in the synagogue are silent, are silent. And you can hear their response in this way. Nothing. And Jesus says to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he's made whole. Time and time and time again, we see the glory of God in Jesus Christ carrying out these various healings and manifestations of grace. And so, uh, it, there is in this respect the fact that we should, yes, acknowledge the fall. But also understand that uh, these things, these miseries of life are brought about in God's providence for His greater good and glory so that His glory can be shown forth. The Apostle John says in 1 John, No one has seen God at any time. If you love one another, this is his next statement, if you love one another, God is in your midst. How do individuals see God? By the love that people like you and me have for one another. This is how the world sees the invisible God. Say, what... What a beauty that is. And uh, so you and I have an opportunity uh, week by week to manifest the love of God and to show the world the great God of heaven in this way and the greater glory of God. And so we have to put all of these things, it seems to me, in a proper context. And so then we have, and so made liable to all the miseries of this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. And uh, one of the proof texts uh, that uh, uh, is given for this piece of the catechism is Isaiah chapter 66, verse 24. And uh, this comes at the very end of the book of Isaiah. 
And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said at the beginning of the lesson, quotes this text with reference to final torment and hell. And what does the text say? And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die and their fire shall not be quenched. There will be those who will be suffering in torment and the worm of conscience will not be quelled and the fire, the fire coming upon them, convicting them of sin will not relent but will increase forever and ever. And the picture that Isaiah is giving here at the end of his book is that there will be those who will be able to go out and peer, as it were, over the precipice into the pits of hell and look at the bodies of the men and women who are suffering torment forever and ever in that awful place. And you would say to yourself, why in the world would there ever be a circumstance where people in heaven would be able to peer into the depths of hell and see the suffering that is taking place there? I thought there would be no sorrow in heaven. Exactly! There will be no sorrow in heaven. And there will be an ability to gaze on the awful wrath of God and say to the great God of heaven, but for your grace, there I would be. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for what you have been pleased to do for the likes of me unworthy though I be. And so, the glory of God will be enhanced by a vision of the horror of hell by those who see that horror from the perspective of the redemption of Jesus Christ the Lord and will evermore in a greater way be able to give thanks to the great God of heaven. Is this not the prospect that you who believe in Jesus Christ have even though you have been subject to all the miseries of this life. You will not be subject to the curses of hell, but saved and spared from them. 
how good Jesus Christ actually is. Let's pray. Lord, unworthy we are even to speak of such great things. Forgive us of all of our sin. And where we are not right with you, bring us the correction we need Cleanse us from our sin and make us right with you. And as we have opportunity to enjoy one another in fellowship, over food, and having much fun together, Cause us to have an eye on heaven and upon Jesus Christ and how you through him have provided us so many good things to overcome sin and the fall as we've been able to speak about it here this morning. Bless us to this end, we pray, in the good and gracious name of Jesus Christ, who is the only Lord and Savior. Amen.